Um, anyway, yes, I am Matt, and for the third time, welcome to Redwood. And in case you're wondering, we are very happy to see so many of you here. Um, I don't know about you guys, but every time I get up here, I consider it such a privilege, not just that I get to stand before you and, and share from God's Word, but the fact that I'm holding God's Word in my hand, and I'm holding a version of the Bible that I can read for myself, I can understand clearly in my own language. Um, in America, we have hundreds. I've, I've heard that there's over 2,000 versions of the Bible in English in our country. Not just different translations, but different versions, whether you're a kid or whether you're in the military, wherever you are, there's a version of the Bible that, that we have for you, and it is an amazing privilege. My wife and I were missionaries for many years overseas, and um, we've been in places where there's absolutely no access to God's Word. And um, people that, that might possibly hear the gospel, um, even if they could hear the gospel, they would have no way um, to grow in their understanding of who they are and who they are in Christ because they don't have access to God's Word. So I pray every time you guys pick this up, you realize what a privilege it is to live in this country, even in the midst of the turmoil and the political uh, mess that our country's in right now, that it's still an amazing place to live and amazing that we have God's Word. Uh, as Kurt said, we are uh, in the middle of our series, um, the not-so-silent night, right? And um, so we're going to continue this week with, um, with Joseph and, and how God was not-so-silent with him. Um, but I wanted to just ask a few questions. I, um, Jay had mentioned uh, Christmas traditions, and um, one of ours that we love to do is to get in our car and drive all over the county looking at Christmas lights up on the hill. You know, they have amazing road through there with amazing lights and, and all the communities around, and it's just an amazing thing to see so many people decorating their homes. And uh, a couple years ago, we decided to actually start decorating the outside of our house, which we hadn't really done much um, in years past. And uh, so we went and bought all the lights, you know, and all the little figurines that go in the yard and the little stakes that go along your driveway and um, just lit the, the house up. And I was amazed that we've been watching some Christmas movies, and um, the theme oftentimes in those Christmas movies is this competition of who can have a better house, who can do more decorating than somebody else. So I'm curious in here, who doesn't decorate their house at all for Christmas? Okay. Who does decorate their house, but just basic stuff? And then who is all out there, 100% in, you are going to have the nicest house on the block and the most lights shining? Nobody? Nobody? Wow. Come on, really? Well, we just moved into a new house, and there's not a single light on our block, so all I have to do is put up one strand of Christmas lights this year, and we're going to have the nicest one on the block. <laughs> anyway, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Matt, and I'm the associate pastor here um, at Redwood. And um, again, I consider it a privilege to be able to stand up here and, and share with you guys. I absolutely love Christmas. I know that it's a very tough time of year for, for people. Um, last year, my dad had died just a few months before Christmas, so we knew it was going to be the first Christmas without him. But yet, even in the midst of that, that uh, the pain and, and the, the missing a loved one and being separated from our kids who live in the Midwest, um, I still just absolutely love Christmas, and I have ever since I was a kid. Um, when I think back about Christmas past, um, you know, as a kid and, and as a young man growing up with our own family, I don't remember the gifts. I don't remember the presents. I don't remember the times we spent buying stuff for people, but there are things I do remember. We remember things like the joy of the season, right? The peace that we begin to recognize is, is available to us. The hope that we have in a Savior and the excitement that just permeates the season, it's like this feeling that everything's going to be all right in the world. Even for this little short period of time we call Christmas, everything's going to be all right. 
And it reminds me of um, the creation account. I don't know how often you guys go back and read Genesis and read through the creation account, but it's, it's a really amazing story. It's, uh, you know, the story of God creating everything, everything we have, the sun, the moon, the stars, every living creature, the plants, the seas, the mountains, everything we have, God created. And then it says in Genesis that he created man and woman, his, the pinnacle of his creation. The greatest thing he created was man and woman. <clears throat> and we continue reading that he would come in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, to spend time with them, to be close to them. <clears throat> God's greatest desire was for us to be with him, and our greatest need is for him to be with us. Because the presence of God just makes things all right. Everything just seems all right when we have the presence of God. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what makes the Christmas holiday, unlike any other holiday, what makes it the most wonderful time of the year. is a time when we celebrate the fact that God chose to make himself reachable, to make himself touchable. He came as a helpless baby for us. <clears throat> Let me open us in prayer here, and then we'll jump into our, our text today. It's going to be in Matthew 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. There are no slides today. I failed to get my information to Jim. And so today, instead of reading on the screen, hopefully you have your Bibles and you're going to open them up and, and read along with me as I get there. But let me open us in prayer and then we'll turn to Matthew 1. Father, we are so grateful that, that you loved us, that you loved us enough to send your son and, and that that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Father, we are so undeserving of that love and yet you pour it out. You're just full of grace and full of love. And your greatest desire is to be with us. And so we just pray, Father, that as we look into your word this morning and, and we read about the story of Joseph and uh, just how you spoke to him, Father, that we will have experienced uh, drawing close to you today and walk out of here with a new excitement, a new hope, a new joy um, that will be contagious for those around us. We thank you again for your word, for the fact that we can easily read it, that we're free to read it at any time we want, and that through it we can draw close to you and, and grow in our understanding of who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 1. We're looking at verses 18 through 25. It begins this way. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but they did not have sexual relations until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. First thing I wanted to do is just take a moment to look at um, this word, betrothed or engaged. I think some Bibles say promised. 
And in our Western culture, in our Western mindset, we often don't understand um, what it meant to be betrothed in this, in this culture, this Jewish culture. And in their culture, basically, <clears throat> two families would come together, right? One family from the woman's side, one family from the man's side. They'd come together. They'd make an ag- arrangement. They'd make an agreement on different terms. They would, at some point, exchange money. There would be other gifts given and things given back and forth, and they would, they would um, have this binding agreement. And in the Jewish culture, this agreement was so binding that if a one of the other, one or the other of the betrothed were to die, you were to be considered a widow. Even before the marriage has taken place, during this time you could be considered a widow. It was that binding. And so we need to understand a little bit of that to understand where Joseph is at when he gets to this point where he's betrothed, he's engaged to Mary, and finds out she's pregnant. So there's a very binding contract they're in right now, right? It's not something flippant. It's not something like what we understand in our culture today of engaged. Engaged for us is uh, a promise to marry. And it doesn't really have a a lot of binding to it. Um, People often break engagements. Um, People are engaged for many, many years um, and never follow through with a marriage. And and I'm not um, saying that that's bad. That's just our culture. So because of that, we often don't understand that that for them, this was not something that could be easily broken. He couldn't just walk away from Mary um, and decide he wasn't going to marry her without going through the proper steps, uh, which would have been a, a full-on divorce in their culture. So now, understanding that, let's, let's jump into the text and, and read about this. It says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. It also said Joseph was a good, he was a righteous man, he was upright, he was just, he was good. And all those terms represent the moral quality of this man. That not only was he uh, a God-fearing Jew, but that he had the qualities of a good man, a just man. So he finds Mary to be pregnant. And as most of us would assume, obviously something's happened. If he's not the father, then Mary has been unfaithful. Which would mean divorce. He would need to divorce her. It was mandatory in Jewish culture to divorce for adultery. Not only was it mandatory in their culture, not only was it expected of him, but as a God-fearing Jew, he couldn't condone the act of adultery, which he had assumed had happened with Mary, with her being pregnant. But there's this tension. There's uh, this dilemma that's going on. There's this chaos in Joseph's life and in his mind right now, right? Because on the one hand, he's righteous. He's expected to do certain things in his culture, in his community, but, and also in, in the eyes of God, he was going to be required. But at the same time, he, he loved Mary. He cared for her. <clears throat> he was concerned for her well-being. He didn't want to expose her to public shame, to ridicule, to death, because the penalty for adultery in their culture was stone, stoning to death, and that most likely would have been the outcome had Mary been put to shame. If she had to suffer the disgrace of, of adultery. So while Joseph's contemplating all of this, trying to decide. It says that he was going to divorce her quietly, but it says while he's still thinking about all of this, God speaks to him. The angel speaks to him. God breaks into the chaos in Joseph's life. <clears throat> he breaks in, and he says to not be afraid. It's one of the themes of the series we're going through. God continues to tell people not to be afraid. And in this instance, he's telling Joseph not to fear doing the right thing. Don't fear the consequences. 
Don't fear the stigma that would be attached to him. Don't fear what's doing the right thing. Because after all, really, who's going to believe this staggering story that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit? For an average person, for you and I, if we're looking in from the outside, we're assuming one of two things happened, right? Either Mary and Joseph slept together during their engagement, which is absolutely forbidden in Jewish culture, or Mary has slept with another man, and for obvious reasons, that's also forbidden in just about any culture. So doing the right thing was going to mean mockery. Doing the right thing was going to mean gossip. Doing the right thing for Joseph was going to mean that both of them would have an ugly stigma attached to them. Either Mary is an adulterer or Joseph and Mary have been unfaithful during their engagement. And what's amazing is if you flip over to verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, meaning he took her home. Took her home into his house. The marriage is complete. It also says they didn't consummate the marriage because... She was a virgin and she needed to birth Jesus. But he woke up and immediately obeyed. There was no questions asked. There was <clears throat> excuse me, no hesitation, just trust and obedience. Out of this tension that was going on in Joseph's life, out of this chaos that was in his mind and, and in everything going on around him, came calm, came rest, came peace. It seemed suddenly everything was going to be all right for Mary and Joseph. And you know why? Because it wasn't just any baby that was in her womb. This was a special child. This was Jesus. The angel said Jesus would save his people from their sins. But not only that, he was Emmanuel, God with us. Not just God with us in some weird mystical way, but the God who wants to be close to us. Not just God protecting us, not just God straightening out the messes that we've made in our life, but the God who desires to be close, the God who desires to be reachable, to be touchable. He came as a baby. <clears throat> the the uh, Verse 22 and 23 says that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. All of this concern occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through this prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This prophecy comes out of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And, and during this time, um, the king of Israel was a man named Ahaz. And uh, he was a very unrighteous man. He uh, had made arrangements with the countries around him, the neighboring countries, which is one thing God forbid them to do. As an unrighteous king, he had turned away from God, stopped trusting in God, made alliances with the countries around him, and began trusting in his own diplomatic expertise. And yet, we read that God broke into that mess, into that chaos that was going on in the, in the life of Israel at that time. He breaks in and he promises them that he will be with them. Not just to be for them, not just to protect them, but to be close to them, to draw close to them even when they were turning their back on him. The reason I believe Matthew brought this out is because he wanted to show us our faithful God, the God who does what he says, the God who makes promises and then fulfills those promises. The important thing to remember here is that during the time of Ahaz, God came through. He was with them. He did protect them. He did help them. But more importantly, 
the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of God with us was happening right here before Joseph dies. Joseph was going to be a part of God with us. And it was a very momentous occasion. Just imagine for a second, the God of the universe, okay? He's created everything just with the words of his mouth. He opened and spoke and life was created. As we said earlier, that everything, everything that's in this world and in this universe that was created was created by God. And all he did was spoke a word. This God who is so transcendent, we can't even begin to understand or fathom who he is. And yet he offers to be with us. He promises to be with us. <clears throat> the word sovereign, oftentimes when we think of the God who's sovereign, sovereign over the world, sovereign over the universe, this idea of this distant God, right? He's out there. In order for him to be overlooking everything and overseeing everything going on in the universe, that he has to be like a cosmic chess player, right? And he's out there wherever that place is where he's at, and he's moving the chess pieces around, making sure everything's lining up perfectly, making sure everything's happening according to his will, micromanaging everything going on from that distant place where he's at. But that is not the God of the Bible. That's not our God. Our God desires to be eminent. Not in some weird mystical way. Not in some weird spiritual way. Yes, there's a spiritual connection, but God desires to be close to us. God desires to be reachable. God desires to be touchable. <clears throat> he desires intimacy, and he desires it so much that he sacrificed his own son for you and I. He sacrificed his son so that the world could be reconciled back to himself. So that he could restore the broken relationship with himself. So that we would have free access. So that we could draw close to him and he can draw close to us. And like I said, it's not this weird, mystical, spiritual thing. A couple weeks ago, uh, Kurt was looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth and the story of John, the birth of John. Another miraculous story of birth. Another miracle God created. But there's something I wanted to look at in there. Um, so if you want to flip to Luke 1, it's verse 39 through 45. I'm going to read it for you. Luke 1, 39 through 45. Now Mary has just been, it's been announced that she's going to carry the Son of God in her womb. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. The reason I turn over there is because the moment Mary walked into the room and greeted Elizabeth, Mary carrying the Son of God in her womb, the moment she came into proximity with this baby John, there was a reaction. The baby within the womb leapt. The very presence of God should cause excitement. It should cause a reaction in the life of people. And it is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? God with us, Emmanuel. God with us when we least deserve it. God with, it, with us when we were unlovable. God desires to be with us. He desires to be close to us. 
He desires to be reachable. He desires to be touchable. He desires that we draw near to him so that he can draw near to us. And he wants us to realize what Mary and Joseph realized. That no matter what, when God is with us, everything is going to be all right. Out of chaos can come peace. I love the, the book of Matthew. The, the opening verses are the story of Christ's birth, right? God with us. We are told of Emmanuel. And throughout the pages of Matthew, we see what it means for God to be with us, right? How God with us restores relationships. How God with us brings healing to broken people. How God with us makes things right. And then you get to the very last section of Matthew, the last words of this Christ. And he's reminding the apostles that not only is God with us, but he's the God that's always going to be with us. It's an amazing promise. So, question is, what does it mean? What does it mean for us as we celebrate Christmas? Year in and year out, we celebrate Christmas. What does it mean, God with us? As we celebrate the birth of a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. This baby who grew up to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. The Savior who died on the cross to make things right in each one of our lives. Emmanuel, God with us. Who then sent his Holy Spirit to reside in each one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. All of that was done so that we, we believers, those of us who have placed our faith and hope in the finished work of Christ, so that we could be Emmanuel to the lost, to the hopeless in this world, to the hopeless in our communities, so that they the broken, the lonely, they could see God with us for themselves. They could experience what it means to draw close to God. That through us, God can become reachable. God can be touchable. My prayer is that as we celebrate Christmas, each one of us, as we celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the greatest gift ever given, that those around us will experience the presence of God, God with them. And I just want to pause for a moment and just say, for those of you who are unsure where you're at with God, for those of you who maybe have never understood what it meant to trust Christ, for those of you who maybe have taken the first step but don't know what's next, find one of our elders, find the pastor, find somebody in the row next to you and just talk to them about it. It's the greatest thing you can ever do to not only become a believer but to walk with Christ daily, to see what happens when God with us corrects the mess in your life, but then you feel the presence and peace and hope that comes from being close to your Savior. I read a couple of quotes um, that were pretty amazing, and so I kind of mashed them together and, and calling it my own. <clears throat> the greatest gift ever given was the gift of the giver himself, and it cost him everything. Merry Christmas. Let me close in prayer. Father, again... We are so grateful that in the midst of the mess we've made in our lives, Father, you choose to break in. You choose to take the chaos and the mess of our lives and bring peace and joy and hope. We thank you that we celebrate uh, this amazing, momentous occasion of, of Christ coming as a baby and realizing that he would grow up to become our Savior and he would take the penalty for our sins on the cross 
so that we could be restored back to you, Father, and, and then we could receive your Holy Spirit and be your hands and feet to the communities we live in, your hands and feet to the lost and the broken. We pray that uh, throughout this season of, of Christmas as we celebrate that those around us would experience God with them, that as they touch us, as we touch them, Father, that they have been touched by you. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.